Shelter in Place wouldn't exist without listener support. Even donations as small as a dollar a month can make a difference. If you'd like to support this work, head to shelterinplacepodcast.info or check out the link in the show notes. You'll also find a link for our new referral program, which allows us to give you gifts to show our gratitude when you share Shelter in Place with your friends. We'll also recognize our listener of the month. Go to refer.fm shelter to get started. Thanks for subscribing and helping us expand our community. This is Shelter in Place, a podcast about coming together in a world that pulls us apart. From Oakland, California to Hamilton, Massachusetts, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. When I was young, I admired clever people. Now that I am old, I admire kind people. Three things in human life are important. The first is to be kind. The second is to be kind. And the third is to be kind. Be kind whenever possible. It is always possible. I've been searching for ways to heal myself, and I've found that kindness is the best way. Kindness. It's such a small thing, but it can make a huge difference. Those statements came from the Jewish theologian and rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, the American author Henry James, the Dalai Lama, and Lady Gaga, respectively. This past week, I revisited one of our earliest episodes from season one, The Surprising Power of Kindness. Even though a lot has changed, some of the ideas that helped me most in those early days of the pandemic are helping me still. So today, I want to revisit that episode with a few additions and updates. We've called season two Pandemic Odyssey because for months throughout all of these episodes, my family and I have been in search of home. That voyage has taken us from California to Massachusetts, and it's prompted us to question almost all of our pre-pandemic assumptions about life. You can hear that story from the beginning, starting with the season two prologue but you're also welcome to jump around. Today, as we revisit an early episode of Shelter in Place, we're also revisiting an early book of Homer's Odyssey. It's a sort of mini odyssey that leads us into the larger story. Prompted by the goddess Athena, Odysseus's son Telemachus sets out on a journey around southern Greece to get news about his father, who's been gone for 10 years. Even in that mini odyssey, Telemachus changes a lot. He learns more about his father. He gains the courage he needs to face the future. He grows up. Those changes result in part because of the kindness of strangers. First Athena, and then a couple of kings who were friends of Odysseus before he disappeared. They offer hospitality, tell Telemachus what he needs to know about his father, and give him the support that he needs to continue on his journey. One of those kind hosts is King Menelaus, who's spent a lot of time worrying over Odysseus by the time Telemachus shows up in Sparta. King Menelaus welcomes Telemachus into his home even before he realizes who Telemachus is. Menelaus says that others have often shown him kindness when he's traveled, and so he wants to pass that kindness on. It's a wonderful moment in the story. When he arrives, Telemachus has a hunch that Menelaus might be able to help him, and he does. But the interaction also ends up being a great source of joy for Menelaus, who takes comfort in connecting with his dear friend's son. As we've journeyed through our own pandemic odyssey, we've experienced a lot of change. You might even say that we've grown up. 
Often, it's been the kindness of others that has given us courage to face the future and the resources to keep going. In season one, episode 19, I shared some surprising research about kindness and how it was playing out in my own life. Over the months in this pandemic, that research has changed me. So today, I wanna take you back to that episode. It's early April, my family and I are still in our home in Oakland, California, and the pandemic has only just begun. For the past couple of weeks, someone has been walking around my neighborhood writing messages of hope and encouragement on the sidewalk. I love my neighborhood, and I devoted a whole episode to the story of how we became a community. That's episode nine if you missed it. Case in point, there is currently a window treasure hunt going on where kids can walk around and spot items that people have put up on their windows. So far, 55 households are participating. One neighbor even made a map of it. The sidewalk messages came to my attention when my neighbor Judy sent an email to our neighborhood listserv. Judy and her husband are retirees who live across the street from us, and it's not unusual for us to see her out walking her dog Ruby or chatting with a neighbor. My kids' affection for Judy rivals the love that they feel for their grandmas. They've put on shows in her front yard, baked her cookies, and love yelling out, Hi, Judy, whenever they see her across the street. She gives them birthday cards. She's a writer herself and the author of several books. Judy had written our neighborhood to say thank you to whoever was writing those encouraging messages. She said they cheered her every day when she was out walking Ruby, who lately she'd taken to pushing in a stroller, since after 18 years, Ruby's age was starting to catch up with her. Judy's message reminded me of some research I encountered recently by Nicholas Epley on the science behind meaningful interactions. Nick is a social psychologist and professor at the Chicago Booth School of Business. He studies social cognition, how thinking people think about other thinking people, to understand why smart people so routinely misunderstand each other. He teaches an ethics and happiness course to MBA students called Designing a Good Life. A couple of years ago, my brother took Nick's class, and he's still talking about it today. After attending one of Nick's webinars, I understand why. He began by quoting Aristotle, man is by nature a social animal. Nick said that connecting with others is one of our deepest human needs, and the quality of our social connections is a powerful determinant of our health and well-being. Among other things, Nick's research measures social satisfaction in relation to physical health, religion, and age. He also looks at the satisfaction people get from increased income, the positive effect of which, interestingly, flattens out at about $75,000 a year. What his work has shown again and again is that it turns out that being lonely is just as bad for your health as smoking. It increases cortisol levels in your blood and compromises your immune system and cardiovascular health. Nick said, you don't die of loneliness, you die of something else, but it is an underlying cause. Nick's research doesn't just look at the negative effects of loneliness. It looks at the positive effects of reaching out to others. We know intuitively that we feel better when we're kind to others and when we express gratitude. And Nick's research confirms this. Nick says that when we reach out to others, it's powerful. Even for introverts, merely acting more extroverted can make us feel better. 
But what fascinated me most about Nick's research is that people also tend to wildly underestimate how positively their social acts will be received by others. When we're faced with decisions about whether or not to say hello, reach out, express support, connect more intimately, perform acts of kindness, or ask for help, we create all kinds of psychological barriers for ourselves. Most of us are familiar with that dreaded moment on an airplane or bus when the person next to us starts talking when we'd rather bury ourselves in a good book. But Nick's research reveals how even in these kinds of situations, our assumptions are often wrong. Nick says that when people measure their predicted social satisfaction from connecting with both strangers and people they know against their actual experience, the lived experience of connecting with others is more positive, less awkward, and better received than they anticipated. He ran an experiment on the train in Homewood, Illinois, where people were randomly assigned to one of three conditions. One, keep to themselves and enjoy their solitude. Two, do whatever they normally do. Three, do something somewhat radical. Try to start a conversation and make connection. Learn something new about a stranger. His study showed that the highly social people had the most positive commute more positive than those who kept to themselves. He did that same study in London and the results were almost identical. Nick says that there's a gap, often a large one, between how people think they will feel when they connect and how they actually feel. People tend to think that others don't want to talk to them and so it'll be difficult to start. But nearly everybody in the study was willing to respond. We underestimate how willing others are to engage with us. In another experiment, people wrote letters expressing their gratitude to someone in their lives. The study measured both their own predicted and actual feelings of satisfaction and awkwardness. Over and over again, the senders felt less awkward and more positive than they anticipated. But the response of the recipients of those letters was even more extreme. Compared to how the letter writers predicted, recipients consistently felt more pleasantly surprised, both about receiving the letter and about its content, and felt less awkward about receiving them than predicted. The letter writing was good for those who wrote them, but it was great for those who received them. This was true whether or not the person was close or someone the letter writer had grown distant from. Nick also said that the quality of conversation matters. His studies have shown that people predict that they'll feel more awkward and less happy when they ask deeper questions in conversations. But in reality, people feel less awkward, happier, liked the experience, and felt a stronger bond when the content of the conversations was deeper. Nick mentioned a study by Art Aaron, which inspired the New York Times story, 36 Questions That Will Make Anyone Fall in Love. I want to interject the present into the past for just a moment and say that over the course of 11 months, 60 interviews, and 121 episodes, I've experienced what Nick is saying firsthand. Whether I'm talking to my childhood friend of more than 30 years or meeting someone for the first time, that experience of sharing our hopes, our dreams, and our concerns for our world has been a deeply rewarding one. It's not only made me feel more connected to strangers and friends alike, but it's helped me to feel more hopeful about what's ahead. Nick also said it matters how you connect. Phone calls are less awkward, more intimate, and more satisfying than people expect them to be. 
We feel so much more connected when we hear another person's voice than we do through seeing a text. This one really hit home for me recently. A couple of weeks into the pandemic, my sister-in-law Alexis had a miscarriage. The week it happened, she called me to talk about it. I had a miscarriage myself a while back when we were trying for number three, and I wasn't prepared for the way that it would level me. For me, the experience was akin to losing a child. It was losing a child. It didn't matter that I already had two healthy kids. When that third baby died, I lost more than a fetus. That death was also the death of my hopes. I would never get to meet that person I longed to know. I wouldn't get to watch them grow up or see who they looked like or how they'd bond with their siblings or how they'd shift our family dynamic. I was in my late 30s at the time, so after nine months of trying and failing to have another baby, we gave up. Eventually, we did have another kid, but all of these years later, I still carry inside me the loss of that other baby. I haven't had a year yet where I don't think about her on the day she would have been born. It was the same week that Alexis lost her baby. I'll be right back with more of this story right after this short break. I don't know about you, but I'm finding that it's the little things that go a long way lately. Like when someone sends you a really nice text, or when you hear that song that you love that you forgot about, or when an ordinary dinner becomes special with a really great glass of wine. Which is why I am so excited to tell you about our sponsor, Delta Wines, who can deliver wine right to your front door. Delta means change, and Delta Wines were born out of a desire to make a difference and protect our planet. For every bottle of wine you buy, they'll donate a dollar to partner companies who are cleaning up our oceans and reducing CO2 emissions. Best of all, their wines are affordable and delicious. Go to winesforchange.com and use the code SHELTER to get 10% off your order and support this show. When this episode originally aired just a couple of weeks after Alexis's miscarriage, I wasn't going to share her name. But when I reached out to ask her if I could mention her experience anonymously, she said she'd be glad to be mentioned by name. And then it hit me that this is exactly what Nick's research has shown. We want people to know us, to reach out and connect with us in meaningful ways. And the way we connect does matter. Alexa said that she's taken great solace from the voicemails she's received from friends and family, from people who actually picked up the phone and let her hear their voice. Her sister sent her flowers. Her parents and that same sister sent letters. Alexa said that it was people taking the time to share in her sorrow and reach out in personal ways that meant the most to her. This is a good reminder for me. I've been guilty of sending texts to friends experiencing loss instead of doing something more personal, like picking up the phone. My fear of the awkwardness of not knowing what to say has sometimes overruled my desire to connect. But Nick said that during this time of physical distance, we get the chance to be Santa Claus to others. He said, if you really want to feel better today, sit down and write a letter to someone who's done something really great for you. Send it. Get in the habit of sending someone a compliment or a kind thought whenever you think of them. If there's someone you haven't thought about for a long time, give them a call. When you talk to others, ask them how they're really doing. Ask meaningful questions. These acts have extraordinary power. Take little steps. 
get started, and then do it more often. It'll mean more than you think. After seeing Judy's email and learning about Nick's research, I went out and wrote my own messages of hope on the sidewalk. I felt a little silly, especially since my kids weren't with me, but it also felt good. The next morning, it rained all day. All of the messages got washed away. But that night, when I went out for an evening run, there was a freshly chalked smiley face right in front of our house, and near it, these words. Nevertheless, we persisted. It's been 10 months since I first encountered Nick's research and wrote about it. Judy's little dog, Ruby, died a few months ago. Some of our neighbors have sold their homes or moved away. We've moved away too, at least for a little while. But we've persisted. So have our neighbors. When Judy's dog died, our neighbors flooded her with messages of comfort. Our friends down the street welcomed a new baby just last month. That third baby of mine, the one I didn't think I'd get to have, just turned four. And my sister-in-law, Alexis, who'd had a miscarriage when I first released this episode, is expecting a baby in May. Through all of the ups and downs of this pandemic, it's been the kindness of others that's kept us going. It was the dinners that our friends delivered for months after Nate lost his job. The kind reviews on Apple Podcasts from all of you who took the time to let us know you were listening. It's the financial support from shelter-in-place listeners who, even in a pandemic, have given something to help us continue this work. It's the friends and family who welcomed us into their homes as we made our way across the country. It's the messages I've gotten from friends and family that have given me the courage to keep going. Telemachus had his Athena and the kings who could remind him of the long view of his family's history. We need those people in our lives, too, to extend kindness and remind us that what we're going through right now won't last forever. This week, Alexis sent me a text reminding me that it had taken her and her husband, Matt, 10 years to get to where they are now with brick and mortar and Delta Wines. She said that it's like that anytime we're building something new. It takes time and courage and patience and hard work and a lot of help from others to see the fruition of a dream. Early in the pandemic, my friend Kirsten started leaving me messages using the voice memo app on her phone and then texting me those messages. It began a conversation that's continued for nearly a year, and it's one that I treasure. Our messages aren't long, and sometimes we'll go weeks or even months between them. But then one will pop up, and it's always a delight, a tiny reminder that the friendship is still alive, that there are people who care. It's prompted me to leave messages not just for Kirsten, but for other people in my life as well. A few months ago, Nate and I made a list of all of the people that we could think of who we were grateful for, both now and in the past. Some of them we'd lost touch with, and others had been in our life all along. Inspired by Kirsten's kindness, we started making our way through the list in no particular order, leaving voice memos to say thank you. I have to say that we haven't always heard back from people. What's been interesting is that even when we don't hear back, there's real joy in leaving the message and telling someone else why I'm grateful for them. And then sometimes I do hear back that the message has made someone's day. 
Sometimes it leads to more messages, to continue connections that have gone deeper in the pandemic than they did when we saw each other in person. In a couple of instances, it's brought me back in touch with people I haven't talked to in years. I still miss physically being with people without having to wear masks or take safety precautions or limit numbers. I long for the time when we can do that again. But in the meantime, I want to end this episode with an invitation. Join me in revisiting kindness. Record a voice memo and send it to a friend or a family member. Tell them something you appreciate about them or thank them for a kindness that they've extended to you in the past. You might not hear back from them, which is okay. You're still putting some good out into the world and chances are you'll feel better. But also, you never know. Your message might be just the thing that makes their day. As always, if you listen to the very end of the episode, you can hear shelter-in-place outtakes. But first, if you'd like to support the good things happening here, including our apprenticeship program where we're training the next generation of women podcasters, you can find information on how to donate to shelter-in-place on our website, shelterinplacepodcast.info. If you'd like to help but can't donate, asking your friends and loved ones to subscribe to Shelter in Place helps Herd at Media to find us sponsors and expands our community. Check out our new referral program where we send you gifts when you get your friends to subscribe. You can find that at refer.fm shelter. Shelter in Place is part of the Herd at Media Network. The Shelter in Place music was created by Chase Horseman at Reactor Productions. Additional music and sound effects for this episode come from Storyblocks. Nate Davis is our creative director, Sarah Edgel is our design director, and our amazing season two apprentices are Sarai Waters, Winnie Shee, Alana Herlins, Eve Bishop, Gabby Morozowski, Isabel Obrecht, and Melissa Lent. Until next time, this is Shelter in Place. I'm Laura Joyce Davis. And now if you're still listening, here's a little outtake. Hi, my name's Hadley, and a nice thing that someone has done for me during the pandemic is that my sister Olivia has given me a hug every morning. My name was Olivia, and my teacher gave me a necklace. It was nice. Great, and this is Alexis, and a very nice thing that happened during the pandemic was a friend who owns a local restaurant had an order that was misfired. It was quite a large order and he drove it over to my house and dropped off dinner on our front porch for free, which was such a nice surprise. We have some new neighbors next door, a young family, and I made sort of a dinner and put it in a bag with a bottle of wine and wrote a little note. And I said, if this is super creepy, I'm sorry, but I just wanted to welcome you to the neighborhood and, you know, just left it there. And then I got a note the other day and it was the sweetest note saying how much it meant to them to feel welcome to the neighborhood. Hard to know what to do during a pandemic, but that was sort of a bright moment. One act of kindness that was performed for me during this pandemic was that a group of my best friends gave me the gift of a Polaroid camera after I'd gone through a rough time. And every picture I take with it is a tangible memory of their kindness. My car died when I was going to pick up my mom's medicine and my friend drove me the next day so that I could go get the medicine. And I just thought that was really kind considering we are in a pandemic and people don't necessarily feel safe doing certain things. So I really appreciated that. 
I'm new to town, and after I got my second COVID vaccine, I felt pretty horrible and didn't have any Tylenol, so I reached out to a neighbor who also didn't have Tylenol but was willing to go to the gas station to get some for me. I was really grateful, and it helped the city not feel so big. I work in an intensive care unit. An elderly couple recently were admitted with COVID-19, and they both passed away. Although this family was grieving deeply, they extended kindness and showed us how much they appreciated the nursing staff. They gifted each one of us a special package of food, cap, and face masks. Hi, my name is Lincoln and I'm 13 and my mom brings me smoothies sometimes during online school. A great kindness I'm experiencing both from God and from my son and daughter-in-law is that they have moved from Oakland to Massachusetts for the year and have entrusted me with the responsibility of homeschooling their three children. And they've given me the great joy and privilege of watching these three precious children grow, learn, and flourish. Really, a time of someone doing something nice for me during the pandemic, besides your podcast, which ranks right up at the top. I mean, just the incredibly kind and generous things you said about me and us and our hospitality. And anyway, I wanted to thank you for that. Our niece moved in here to our house in early January. We had a great place for her to study for her boards. And she went to Guatemala to help at an OT clinic. And while she was gone, this whole thing happened with everything shutting down. And she got back here. We were the three of us. She called us the quarantine. In terms of having a quarantine partner, we scored so big with her. Like, I'd come home and this whole cabinet down in the laundry room, it was all organized and cleaned up. I can't even tell you how happy it made. It was very sweet and very kind. A Huda Media Production.